Welcome everybody. And there's this silent uh, longing behind everything we do in the name of spirituality. Either we are reciting mantras or practicing meditation in satnas. And that longing is coming from very deep place in our consciousness. It is the knowing of the consciousness to be fully awakened. This is what uh, our consciousness desire and want most even though we may not be aware of this uh, truth. And many people are not aware of this truth. So what I'm speaking about can sound very abstract as well as also esoteric. As you know, once you start uh, immerse yourself into a spiritual practice like Buddhist uh, path and then you began to understand this language that I'm sharing with you you began to realize that and there is this a uh, very powerful desire of the consciousness and that is it wants to wake up Throughout history, all the great uh, uh, traditions have been inventing as well as developing many methodologies and they are called sadhanas and all these sadhanas are some or another a catalyst for the consciousness to wake up and there are many sadhanas. In Hinduism, there are many sadhanas, as you know, like karma yoga, the sadhana of service, the jnana yoga, the sadhana of wisdom, and bhakti yoga, and japa yoga. In the same way, and there are also Satnas and Buddhist tradition too. The idea is that there are many catalysts, there are many methods and that can bring about the utter awakening of the consciousness. It is very possible that somebody can experience this inner awakening through practicing uh, 
the sadhana of devotion. In the same way, it is very possible for an individual to experience this inner reckoning through practicing the sadhana of a service. Indeed, there is a, an anecdote in one of the Buddhist sutras. This yamin came to study with the Buddha. And Buddha taught him how to meditate. And somehow he didn't know how to meditate. He couldn't understand the art of meditation, even though he had the best meditation teacher in the world. <laughs> it wasn't the problem of the teacher. <coughs> and finally Buddha told him that he does not have to meditate. Instead, Buddha asked him to keep cleaning the floor of the gondola, the temple which he did. That's all he did. He didn't uh, practice the usual satnas such as uh, analysis, inquiry, meditation, keeping religious precept. All he did was to clean the temple floor. And he did that for 12 years without any complaints. And one day, 12 years, after 12 years of cleaning the temple, he became arhat, he became enlightened. And he realized that the temple floor was his consciousness and dust on the floor is the, the inner obscurations. And the act of cleaning and sweeping the dust is the act of purification. That was a karma yoga, the sadhana of service. So there are many sadhanas. Maybe I tell you another sadhana. This is a sadhana. Maybe in Hinduism, this is what is called in Japa Yoga. And also there are Japa Yoga in Buddhist tradition, especially in Vajrayana Buddhist tradition. I grew up in Vajrayana Buddhist tradition. And once, and there was very uh, renowned uh, Buddhist uh, master lived in this region called Nkam in eastern Tibet. And a hunter had this sudden longing, this sudden desire to become a spiritual seeker, but he was illiterate. And this is really similar to the, the anecdote that you just have heard. And he came to this very famous Buddhist master, Mahasiddha. His name was Chevu Rinzinchemo. So the hunter said to this master, I'm illiterate, I'm already old, I've done many uh, unwholesome 
things in my life, but now I want to enter the path. I want to become enlightened, so hold me, embrace me, and take me as your student. And the master said, yes, I will take you as my student. But in the same situation, he couldn't learn anything. He didn't know how to practice those uh, very complicated uh, tantric sadhanas. And somehow he learned the mantras, but he never felt affinity with any of those mantras. And one day he and his master were sitting outside, and it was very sunny and warm day. And he noticed that his master was sweating from the heat. And also he noticed that and there was a reflection of the sun on his master's face. It is said that his master's face was very rough and has some holes on the face too, supposedly a very rough face. And reminded of this special prayer beads called Raksha Mala in the East. Very rough prayer beads and got lots of holes. And he looked at his master and said spontaneously, your face look like Raksha Mala. And Master said, that is your mantra. Now leave me alone and recite that 100 million times or something like that. I have nothing to teach more than that. And he took his Master's advice in his heart and he left his Master and traveled and walked all over Tibet as a renunciate and kept reciting this mantra, your face looked like Rakshamala. <laughs> and this is a true story, believe it or not. Wild things can happen to bed. You think California is wild? Not at all. Tibet is way more wild than California. So you recite this mantra almost uh, 100 million times. Towards the end, it is said that he became enlightened. And that was a Japa Yoga. But it is also true that the Buddhist tradition is very much into uncultivating uh, more samadhi and meditation, reflection, as well as also silence. So you can say that the heart of all the Buddhist sadhanas is actually singular, and that is the art of attention, which I'm going to speak about. So this art of attention is the very much the essential fabric of all the Buddhist practices. So Buddhism has been using the art of attention as a sadhana, 
as a very powerful catalyst for awakening our consciousness. And there's a verse written by Shanti Deva, and this verse goes something like this. As long as one's mind is distracted, and then one may practice all these religious observances, austerity, maintaining precept, and chanting mantras, they all become futile and fruitless. So what he is saying is that without attention, everything one does as a spiritual practice becomes futile. That's what Shantideva said. Reciting mantras can be futile. Or chanting holy scriptures can be futile if the attention is absent. So attention is, in that sense, very magical. And even Buddha said that when he was a bodhisattva, the spiritual discipline that he practiced and that led him to the perfect enlightenment, the outer awakening, is the care for attention. Of course, we already know how to pay attention. But this attention that we are talking about is not uh, any other attention, but it's a profound attention. When you drive a car in town, you already know how to pay attention. When you pay attention, then you see there is a red light. Suddenly, your body knows and that you should uh, stop the car. And then there's a green light, and that means you can drive. So we already know how to pay attention. We are actually paying attention all the time, either consciously, most of the time unconsciously. Even if we are not aware of that. When we cook food, we are paying already attention. Every time when we have a conversation with somebody, we are paying attention what to say and what not to say. When we walk on the street, we are paying attention. I escaped from Tibet many years ago, 20 years ago. And at one point, uh, we were walking on this uh, top of the Himalayan mountains, the snowy mountains, and we were led by two Nepalese that we hired. And they always uh, smuggled Tibetan refugees. <laughs> and uh, I remember even today vividly, the summit of that mountain was extremely sharp. And almost you can see both sides. And when you look, 
down. Sometimes you don't see anything else except cloud. And I remember that uh, we were paying attention completely. Every step we take is a completely done attention. But that is ordinary attention. So attention that we are speaking about is a not ordinary attention, but a careful attention, profound attention. Attention that most people don't know how to practice. And that's why to know how to practice attention, this sadhana, this profound attention, I think in Pali it's known as Yonasomanasukara, requires a certain environment and dedication as well as also a fellowship too. And that's why in the Easter, in the Buddhist tradition, sometimes you go away from your ordinary world and you leave everything behind. And sometimes you enter a spiritual fellowship known as a Kalyana Mejita and you take somebody, a yogi or monk or bodhisattva as your guide and also you enter a whole fellowship, the togetherness of a, a spiritual seekers whose sole aspiration is to be fully awakened. And then you sometimes study and meditate for months and months and years, years to learn how to practice this very powerful art art of attention, the care for attention. And at the same time, this art of attention can be begun by simply paying attention to the momentary event and reality. And therefore, Buddha talked about the samadhi or the art of awareness by being fully aware of what you're doing like noticing and that you're walking you're breathing in and you're breathing out and this is how we can learn to practice the art of tension. So in the beginning, this is all we need to do. Simply noticing that you're breathing in and you're breathing out. Notice that your heart is beating. And notice that the smell of a coffee or the sound of birds chirping I visited France many years ago. I go there once a year these days. Uh, this open-hearted lady who is a, a long-term practitioner in the Buddhist tradition came to my retreat. And then she wrote a letter 
and I opened her card and there was an image of a, a mythical bird. So I read the letter and later she said that after she finished the retreat with me, she went back home and she began to hear a sound of birds chirping outside of window. And then she said, I do not know whether the bird was a new guest who arrived there just a, a day ago, or maybe the bird was chirping all the time and I wasn't aware of that. Great con. <laughs> so I thought, and that was a great achievement. And basically, I told her in silence. I didn't have a chance to write her, but I told her in silence. And that she achieved everything. She learned what she had to learn. But when we completely give away our heart to this art, art of attention, and then finally you begin to know how to practice this profound attention, and then you are paying attention wholeheartedly, completely, not even in conceptual level to the extent that there's no more duality between you and attention. There's no longer you who is paying attention. You become the attention. The attention never dissolves. There's no more attention there. There's no more doer. One of the most celebrated Buddhist Mahasiddha is called Sahara and he wrote many duas. He was an Indian Buddhist Mahasiddha and I use this line quite a lot as a meditation guidance. It's a very simple phrase but profound. He said do not be distracted and do not be distracted and look into your own mind. So he's speaking of this art of a careful attention, your nasomana sukara. If you really look into your mind as a completely careful attention, attention with a a burning desire of love and devotion, desire to be free, desire to wake up, desire to know your original face. In Buddhism, you might say desire to realize the nature of your mind, which is the Buddha, which is the Dharmakaya. And when you pay attention and look into your mind with so much force of love and devotion, then you'll wake up and then you realize the nature of mind. The nature of your mind is already the eternal Buddha, the Dharmaka. The nature of mind is your original face. 
I should not be speaking at all tonight. So this meditation, this uh, attention I'm speaking about, only works for you when there is a total devotion and love, the total desire to realize your original face. Otherwise, it would not work. I remember visiting somebody's home a few years ago, or maybe more than a few years ago in Seattle. So when I walked into their house, I heard somebody chanting this mantra. I forgot what that mantra was, a name of a god or goddesses. So I looked around, it was their parrot. <laughs> I become extremely self-conscious. In fact, I'm not uh, spiritual enough. I remember that I become very rigid and trying to be holy because uh, I thought their parrot is already holy, so I should try to be even holier than parrot. <laughs> It would be like that without uh, so much uh, a devotion, longing for the awakening. If you ask me what most valuable thing I learned in my Buddhist training, as well as from my teachers, Remember, one of my teachers is mentioned during the announcement tonight. He was a very extraordinary human being, and to me was very much realized. So if you ask me, what did you learn from all those teachers? Something that I can share with you. The truth that I learned so much that I didn't learn anything. I hope this is making sense. The problem I learned too much and that I can't tell you anything right now. It's like imagine if you are 
carrying a huge bag of candies, you don't know which candy you should give because there are too many of them. And that can be sometimes a problem too. So right now I feel the I learned so much that and they're all just a bunch of concepts. Just a bunch of default concepts. And lots of information, lots of knowledge that I don't know which one even I have to share with it. So they're not so useful. But I learned something that I want to share with you. It's not a form of a knowledge or conceptual information. It's a devotion that I learned from them. A devotion that I didn't have before I met with them. And that taught me how to feel a devotion. And that devotion is what I'm speaking about right now. It's a form of a love. It's a form of a, this highest level of love. My love to be awakened to my true nature. And my love, my longing to be awakened to my original face. Oh, my true nature. Oh, the quintessence of my consciousness. So I have been living with this uh, longing for a very long time. This is what I'm sharing with you tonight. So I will simply beseech you to uh, learn how to open your heart and pray and bring this uh, longing. This would be a new longing for some of you. A longing to be fully awakened to your original face. So this is what I learned by hanging out with my masters. And this is the most valuable thing I can share with you. And if you don't know how to embrace this longing, then you might like to hang out somebody who is completely immersed in that longing. And I'm not indicating that I'm the one. <laughs> Do not hang out with me. I have a very little longing. This is my problem. I'm working on it. <laughs> And perhaps I should hang out with this one of you. <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody in this uh, gathering who's completely immersed into this path of devotion right now and laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> and he has been walking this path of devotion whose consciousness is right now ready to be fully awakened. So I'm not really indicating that I'm the one you should hang out. I would be the last person that you should hang out.
So this is what I've been really teaching all along. And this is a very much the essence of my message. Either I talk about this path directly or indirectly. This is what I want to share with all of you. And this is a, my invitation to all of you. I'm simply just letting everybody know and that if you really want to wake up, first to have a desire, the divine desire. First have this longing, longing to be fully awakened to your true nature, which is a, the pure essence of your consciousness. In Buddhism, this is a, called sometimes the pure awareness or the luminous mind, which is ungraspable. And when you have that loan, then the method is very simple. And then this attention that I'm speaking about, you know how to practice it. In my tradition, we practice many forms of inquiry, but they are all are different forms of uh, the care for attention. And one of them is called the uh, so let me explain this uh, practice, this inquiry. And Zhong means to arise, and Ni means to abide, and Do means to dissolve. And traditionally you enter a mindful retreat and you simply practice this uh, reflection, which is to go inside and to look into your mind and to inquire and ask where does this mind come from and where does this reside and where does this dissolve so there are three parts of this uh, inquiry and many people become enlightened by practice in this inquiry and many people remain enlightened by practicing this inquiry for years and years. <laughs> and there are many people who have done this practice for ages, ages, without having any uh, fruition. But there are individuals who become fully awakened by simply practicing this uh, inquiry. It's quite simple, there's not so much to learn. So simple. There are only three questions that you should ask. Where does this mind come from? Where does this mind reside? And where does this mind dissolve? And without having that longing to be fully awakened, then I or you can recite this question this inquiry thousand times, a million times, and nothing will happen. Our consciousness remain dry and colorless as all the time. But if you do this practice, this simple inquiry with this utter devotion that I'm speaking about, and then your consciousness will wake up 
and you realize your original face, the eternal Buddha within you. Because of this, inquiry is actually a form of a care for attention. It's looking into your consciousness deeply. When you look into your consciousness deeply and profoundly, and then you realize the very depth, the ground, the very nature of your consciousness, which is ungraspable beyond words and beyond concept. The very nature of consciousness is already Buddha, it's already eternal Buddha. It is the Dharmakaya, it is the highest level of Buddha. And therefore Zen Buddhists say, if you run into Buddha on the street, kill him. What they're trying to say is that the highest level of Buddha does not lie outside of yourself. The highest level of Buddha, the Dharmakaya Buddha lies inside you. You are the eternal Buddha. The essence of who you are, the very nature of your consciousness is already eternal Buddha. It's the luminosity. So when you look, when you pay attention carefully into your consciousness, and then this illusion of self dissolves, everything will dissolve. All your suffering, all your fear will dissolve right there. The illusion of self that we are holding on to will dissolve right there. Because the illusion of self is just another thought. It's simply a thought. And that thought will dissolve. And then you'll recognize directly the very essence of your consciousness. And this talk turned out to be quite spontaneous. I wasn't planning. And this is one of those talks where only two things can happen. I don't think I haven't given this talk, this kind of talk for a long time. <laughs> Somehow there must be readiness tonight. Only two things can happen. Either you're fully awakened or you're fully unawakened. <laughs> Either you're pregnant or you're not. <laughs> I haven't used this expression for the last three or four years. <laughs> so somehow this talk turned out to be one of those very potent, potent, very powerful talk. 
It's true, only two things can happen right now. Either you're fully awakened or you're fully unawakened. If you're fully unawakened, then that's okay too. It's not in news. <laughs> because you haven't been fully awakened anyway. Chill out, relax. <laughs> and right now, there's nothing to learn. So don't worry that you're missing something. You're missing nothing because there's nothing that you can learn. Remember, there are only two things can happen. Nothing else will happen right now. So ultimately, you're missing nothing. You're not missing any informations, any uh, valuable concepts from this teaching that you can write down and memorize. You think, oh, I really learned very valuable concepts from his teaching. But I only understood 90% of uh, what he said. I should go back to learn from him. So one day I can have a full comprehension of that concept, that knowledge, then I will apply and then I change my life and hopefully someday I may become enlightened or not or maybe I will be purified. So you are missing nothing right now because there is no knowledge has been offered right now. Only two options have been offered so far. Right, if you're fully unawakened, it's not news. <laughs> but if you're fully awakened, then that's extraordinary too. My tradition, when we sit down, we have this attitude that we have to hold. We always say, when I'm sitting down on a cushion, I might be a, a deluded, I might be a, an ordinary sentient being, but now I must bear this in my mind. By the time when I get up, I may become fully awakened. So now take a moment to turn your attention inside. See what has happened. Illumination or ignorance, awakening or darkness? What has unfolded in your consciousness by being here and by hearing every word? 
what has occurred, what has manifested right now in the field of your consciousness. And somehow, out of uh, this synchronicity of many uh, mysterious and beautiful as well as blessed circumstances and perhaps your consciousness has been awakened and then recognize your original face and embrace that realization as if you have discovered the Jindamani, the wish for fulfilling gem. But if you feel that you haven't recognized anything, and then you might like to take a moment and to vow from now on, I'm going to walk on this path, this path of devotion. And you might like to even pray, may I have the courage to learn and how to die in the realm of longing and devotion. So please, from now on, take the devotion as your path. Devotion, longing to be fully awakened. Awaken to your true nature. And let me invite all of you to
enchant the mind of Paranjana Paramita and which goes on Gate Gate Parangate Parasamgate Bondiswaha Om Gate Gate Some 
and cue everybody and I express my uh, gratitude to once again Spirit Rahat Sangha this uh, very wonderful community and for allowing me to be here and to express my uh, thought and my um, teaching, even though I haven't taught anything. <laughs> and, uh, and thank you for your receptivity for me to not to hold anything back, but to pour myself in front of you. And I felt very benevolent tonight, felt very peaceful and also felt very received. I felt so I don't have to hold anything back. So what you saw tonight is my depth, my profundity. Even though there's not so much profundity there. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a my everything. This is a my treasure. This is what I have been cherishing for decades and decades. This is my heart. I shared my heart with all of you. Mm. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.